If you paid any attention to the news this week, you came to church with a heavy heart this morning. Um, I found myself in a conversation this week with a, a young pastor, a new pastor, asking about whether or not they should preach about the shooting in Texas. And my counsel was, um, if you let the crises of every week determine what you preach, you will respond every week to some new crises. And then you're stuck knowing which crises calls for my preaching differently. Um, I don't know if that's right. Um, so I tried to be faithful to the text that was uh, a sign for this morning. But we, we pick up where we left off last week. Last week we considered uh, Paul uh, following the flow of the Spirit. And this morning we turn to Acts 16, verse 16. And if you'll turn with me there, there's a big, long passage, and I hope you'll turn there with me. Acts 16, beginning at verse 16. Listen then for the voice of God. Once when we were going to, and we here is Luke. Luke is writing this. Um, I can't tell if he ends up in jail with them, but Luke is writing about this here. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit uh, by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her, for her owners by fortune telling. So she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Now, when her owners realized that their hope for making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. They're in Philippi. Are throwing our city into an uproar. By advocating customs unlawful, unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up 
And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then he spoke the word of the Lord to them and to all others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. The word of the Lord. What keeps you awake at night? What keeps you awake at night? What keeps you tossing and turning, wondering and worrying? After being hit by a car, I couldn't sleep. Nerve damage, a variety of boots and braces, and my hesitancy to take pain medication made for endless nights when I was frustrated, flopping around and not falling asleep before 3 a.m. Reading or watching TV was out because my eyesight was on the blink. So I couldn't sleep, but I could worry. Couldn't walk, but my mind was racing. Couldn't rest but was exhausted. What keeps you awake at night? A shooting in a church? A grocery store? A school? The politics of outrage and fear? The idolatry of guns? A war that seems poised to grind on permanently? Living in an inflationary recession? Daily shootings in city and suburb? A lingering pandemic? The black dog of depression? Or grief? Or a sense of powerlessness? What keeps you awake at night? Our text this morning is enduring and endearing because if you strip away the drama of screaming demons, a jailer going from suicide to baptism, earthquakes, jailbreaks, and exorcisms, you're left with two guys awake in the middle of the night praying and singing. Let's sit with that story for a few minutes. Paul and Silas 
are hauled off and roughed up by the police. For some reason, even as they're stripped and beaten, Paul kept silent about his Roman citizenship. He could have spoken up in his own defense and changed the dynamic. But with bruised limbs, bloodied backs, and sealed lips, they're tossed into the dark stone holes of the inner cells. When in Israel, a long time ago, I saw these first century prisons. They weren't buildings with small rooms and bars on the windows. They were holes in the ground. They were deep cisterns into which prisoners were lowered or there was a set, a, a sort of network of caverns connected by narrow stone tunnels carved into the caves. So to be placed in an inner cell would put you a good distance from light, fresh air, or the winds of hope. So I can imagine that Paul and Silence were discouraged by this turn of events. They were in Philippi because of a dream. A man from Macedonia. They'd followed the flow of the Spirit to the far reaches of the empire, and now their legs were locked in stocks. This confinement was not the gospel freedom they'd anticipated. And yet, round midnight, rather than rest their weary bones or lay awake in worry, they pray and sing. And their song echoed off the stone walls, reverberated in the hallways, and overflowed to other, other prisoners. So my guess is, when confronted with uncertainty and insomnia, they turn to the songs of their faith tradition, the songs they knew by heart. When Bill Staub died, family was gathered around the bed, singing the songs they knew by heart. Old-time gospel songs. There was not a psalter dirge in there. It was all Americana gospel songs. Paul and Silas were Jews, but maybe they were beginning to see Jesus in the lyrics and imagery of their old songs. And so they could have sung to fight off fear. They could have sung out of habit the sung prayers you would say before you would lay me down to sleep. Or they could have sung with gusto and defiance. But whatever they sang, they had a song that could be sung in the darkest prison cell. In the words of Charles Spurgeon, 
any fool can sing in the day. It's easy to sing when you can read the notes by daylight. But the skillful singer is he who can sing when there is not a ray of light to read by. Songs in the night come only from God. They're not in the power of men. I wonder if it's that simple. In the middle of the night, when everything else is stripped away, when everything else fails, when our best laid plans and our earnest efforts fall short, when we're sleepless, restless souls before God, and you don't know what to do, Maybe sing a little tune. Maybe sing a little bit. I don't mean to be flip. And I'm not suggesting a cure for insomnia. I typically have tunes and lyrics in my head. But I'm not quick to sing in bed. Thanks be to God. But maybe there's something else in this moment. Maybe there's another way to think about this scene. Jeff Monroe uh, has preached here, a good friend of mine. Jeff Monroe wrote recently about trying to find a unifying theory for the breakdown in contemporary life. When everything is falling apart, Is there something that explains everything? Is there a unifying theory? He lands on a pandemic of mistrust. He lands on a pandemic of mistrust. For a whole host of reasons, we don't trust politicians, pastors, or policemen. We no longer trust the church or the government, the medical community, or institutions of higher learning. We don't trust social media, news media, or one another, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's clearly more amiss than that, but Jeff details a pervasive distrust. And then he writes this. I'm a Christian. I have hope. But biblical hope is not the same thing as optimism. I love this line from Richard Rohr. Remember, hope is not some vague belief that all will work out well, but biblical hope is the certainty that things finally have a victorious meaning, no matter how they turn out. That quote creates space between biblical hope and optimism. This is still Jeff Monroe. That quote creates space between biblical hope and optimism. Optimism is the belief that things will work out well. 
Biblical hope is more than optimism. It's the belief that ultimately God will work God's purposes out. Biblical hope is centered on the new creation. Biblical hope is the belief that there's always more happening than meets the eye. Dear friends, I... I don't want to relegate Paul and Silas in prison to optimism and a cheesy, cheery faith that doesn't consider the ramifications and realities of human suffering. They had good reason to lay awake and worry. They could have known the dark night of the soul. Their songs could have been laments. Their prayers could have been despairing. But they had encountered the risen Christ. And therefore they knew a sustaining hope rather than an optimistic belief. They knew there was more than meets the eye. And they could sing because they trusted that all of this, all of this, is in God's hands, no matter how it turned out. As Paul and Silas sang, the very foundations of creation shook, the prison doors flew open, the shackles fell off of everybody, crooks, criminals, and creeps were liberated. The guilty, the godless, and the good-for-nothings were set free. It was a complete jailbreak. I'm not suggesting, you're still with me. I'm not suggesting that their singing unlocked the locks. But in the power of the resurrection, creation is changed. There's a crack in the natural order of things. A new creation is being born. Death and its minions no longer have the last word, but life abundant is come and is coming in Jesus. And that resurrected reality reached to those jailed in the darkest dungeon on the edge of the known world. And therefore, even there, Paul and Silas knew a peace that let them sing or sleep. Wallace Stevens wrote a poem entitled, The Well-Dressed Man with a Beard. It opens with this line. After the final no, there comes a yes. And on that yes, the future world depends. After the final no, there comes a yes. And on that yes, the future world depends. I love that line. I don't think Stevens was writing about the resurrection, but it is a wonderful take. Because after the final no, 
After Jesus is crucified and placed in the crevasse of a cave with a stone rolled over, there comes a yes. The yes of the resurrection. And on that yes, the world depends. A new creation. I don't know. I don't know what to say about mass shootings, war, recession, depression, division, synod, or this particular moment. These last few years can feel like the death rattle of a culture. And I think there's good reason to lament, rage, and be sleepless. There's all manner of public policy decisions that make sense to me. Inaction is a tragic mistake. But scripture and the spirit don't leave us hopeless, powerless, or limited, limited to political action. We're called to a hope that transcends this moment, this tragedy, this sleepless night. Our deep trust is in God in Christ. Our deep trust is in the resurrection. In an early, that would seem like enough, but I've, there's more. In an early novel, Frederick Beekner writes of a seminary professor, Dr. Henry Kuykendall. That's, that's a made-up name, but it's, it's set after a Dutch Reformed seminary professor he had. And he writes of that professor exhorting a group of seminarians about the nature of their faith. And he says this, he writes this. Every morning you should wake in your beds and ask yourself, can I believe it all again today? No, better still, don't ask it till after you've read the New York Times. Till after you've studied that daily record of the world's brokenness and corruption which should always stand side by side your Bible. And then ask yourself, if you can believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ again for that particular day. If some mornings that answer happens to really be yes, it should be a yes that's choked back with confession and tears and great laughter. Not a beautific smile, but the laughter of a wonderful incredulity. Dear friends, there's, there's reason for sleeplessness. Heartbreak takes a toll. 
uncertainty and anxiety exact a cost. Open your heart to the groaning of creation and lying awake is understandable. Being woke has become one more thing to worry about. But scripture and spirit proclaim a reality other than just what we see. Not magical thinking. Not the kind of things we say like, heaven needs little angels. But a biblical hope that all of this is in God's hands. That all of this will be made new. And so until that day, may we do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God, and know a deep peace the peace of the resurrection. Amen.